I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey, how are you doing out there? I'm too full of quesadilla. You quesadid it. Oh, quesadilla, that's good. (laughs) I did. I over-quesadid it. (laughs) Look, I'm not normally a quesadilla. I wouldn't order that at a restaurant, but... I don't know. I was just feeling it tonight. Yeah. It feels like when I order a quesadilla, it always feels like the kid's menu. You know, like, oh, you didn't want like a real meal. So you just put cheese on veggies for (laughs) you. And here you go. Here's your mac and cheese. Like it's the Mexican equivalent of a mac and cheese. No, it's a grilled cheese. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Same, same energy. Yeah. Maybe even more so. Grilled cheese is making a comeback. Sure. There's gourmet grilled cheese all over the place. Oh, all right. All right. Uh, Show me. <laughs> Teach me. Teach me the ways. <laughs> that sounds good. Green, grilled cheese. No, well, it's out there. Y'all have heard we're we're about to take a trip and we're going out to LA. So it's but we've had Mexican food twice. And Atlanta's got good Mexican oh, food. Yeah, Don't get absolutely. me wrong. Um but I've been like we're, we're about I mean. to get some of the best Mexican <laughs> food in the country. So mm-hmm. okay, I'll be fine with a quesadilla tonight. <laughs> I'm not worried about the local taquitos. Right, right. I've got a list of tacos the length of my arm yeah. that we're going to definitely be putting in our face holes. Yeah. And yep. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, so good. So excited. So excited. But not right now. I'm not excited for food at all. Oh, I know, God, right? You're just, just like, ugh. Too much, too much. <laughs> it was one of those things where I was like halfway through the plate and I was like, I'm, I'm done eating now, but I'm not going to stop eating. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't even that good. <laughs> but damn. Just, you're just like, it's here. Just couldn't. And now it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put food in front of me, please. Well, but that doesn't mean we can't sit here and have a nice conversation about a cool person. Yeah, Does totally. It? Yeah. Can. No, we can. We can have a meal of a time. Oh, yeah. We're, we'll really make a meal out of this story. We'll make story. a meal out of this story. There we go. Ugh, no more meals. And you'll be even more full. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so excited to have you back for part two. Yes. Of the Dr. Pauli Murray story. Hope you loved part one. Yes. Uh, I did. <laughs> fascinating person uh, with a fascinating history and a, oh. a whole complicated bunch of stuff going on that just, I don't know, is, I don't know if I've mentioned, but it's fascinating. 
Just, Learn a new word, bro. No, I can't. I'm too full. <laughs> it's too late for me. Save yeah. yourself. Dr. Polly Murray is like, what the hell are they talking about you know while I'm they're a trying writer, to. I'm right? <laughs> the disrespect. I apologize. I am an orator. Yes. You're right. You're right. Have some respect. <laughs> for real. For real. In fact, yeah, forget get me and my quesadilla. Let's just get into it. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Welcome to part two of Dr. Polly Murray. Last time we talked about Polly's time riding the rails and hanging out in the Harlem Renaissance and her her presentation as male for a few years Mm -hmm. and her first heartbreak and one of her first triumphs, which was when her arguments helped Thurgood Marshall overturn Plessy v. Ferguson. Yes. Life dream achieved. But she has so much more to accomplish. Right. And love to find. And love to find. Yeah. Exactly. So let's hear everything else about Polly Murray. Let's go. Hey there, friends. Come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So we pick back up in 1956 when Polly was invited to join the law firm Paul Weiss Rifkin Wharton and Garrison. Wow. So many names. Come on, guys. <laughs> Do you think, I wonder if lawyers meet up and they're like, you know, they want to start a firm together, but, but one of them's name is like, you know, Greg Smith. And they're like, I'm, I'm not putting Smith, Smith on the sign outside. Sorry, we Greg. only take really wild and crazy names. <laughs> Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton and Garrison. What if the names don't flow together and they're like, well, this partnership yeah. is over, gentlemen. Good Sorry. day. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Banks. Oh. Actually, there's a, I mean. Many a lawyer named <laughs> Many Banks. a lawyer named Banks, and I'm related to many of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Polly worked for Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. And there she was, again, the only black person and one of three women in 60-plus lawyers. Wow. And two of those women soon left. Oh. So (laughs) she's really standing alone, Polly. Yeah. (laughs) But a summer associate named Ruth Bader Ginsburg joined them briefly. And the future Supreme Court justice was so inspired by Polly that she even called Polly her legal hero. Wow. Okay. Well, there's more on that later. I wonder if when she first came in as the summer associate, if she walked in because her name was Joan Ruth Bader. Mm-hmm. Is her, mm-hmm. you know, her the name she was born with. She went by Ruth and then married Ginsburg. Right. So I wonder if she walked in and was like, hi, I'm Joan Bader. Everyone's and they like, were like, no, mm-hmm. no, doesn't work. It's lackluster. I don't know what <laughs> you need, but it's something. They're like, what's <laughs> what's your middle name? Ruth? Okay, it's a start. All right. Let's start with Ruth. Could do something with that. Ruth Bader. <laughs> I, there's just something missing. <laughs> you got to marry a Ginsburg lady. <laughs> um, also in 1956, Polly published her second book, which was called Proud Shoes, The Story of an American Family, and it explored her family's history, you know, that miniature United Nations that she kind of had grown up with. And it was released 20 years before Alex Haley's Roots. So it's credited as the seminal work on African-American genealogy. Oh, cool. Um, That's a very cool little factoid. Yeah. I had to throw that in there. But that's not all. She also met Irene Barlow, the lovely office manager at Paul Weiss. And she was probably the most enduring romance of Polly's life. They never lived together, but Barbara Lau, who's the director of the Polly Murray Project at the Duke Human Rights Center, says, quote, they had dogs together, they had cars together, and they went on vacations together. So, I mean, that's that's it, right? Yeah. If you got a dog with someone, mm-hmm. it's that's to me, that's stronger than marriage, you know? <laughs> I was basically like sharing a kid, right? Yeah, I mean, right. a little less like sharing a kid, but sort of. You have some custody things to work out. Sure, yeah. But yeah, like a lot of people are like, oh, that was her closest companion or her oh, life, it's that old life thing. companion. You know what I mean? Best friends, a those two. Besties, yeah. just very close besties. They, they're such good friends. They hold hands when they're walking down the street together. <laughs> but yeah, it's generally accepted that they, they were romantically sure. 
en- entangled. Sure. They had an entanglement. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Peg Holmes, her first love, there's not a lot about Irene herself oh. um, out there to find. So I think we should pull into Speculation Station and imagine they're meet cute. Oh, they're you know, meet they're, cute. What they're, it's an office romance. Oh, sure, yeah. So we're talking about, I don't know, maybe maybe Irene's carrying like... <sighs> Like a big bunch of heavy law books. Oh yeah, yeah. To and, like reshelve. And and, and uh, Polly's got all these like binders full of casework yes, totally. that she's got, and, and they like, they both come around the corner. Smack. And crash. And then they're like stammering like oh, apologies and I'm collecting. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so and here, they don't really notice each other. And then I've got mine. Here's, yeah, oh, this one's, other, this one's yours. And, and then you have, oh, oh, those oh, eyes. Hi, <laughs> hi Irene. Uh, <laughs> hi. What was your name again? Call me Polly. Oh, Polly. Okay. <laughs> Irene doesn't really. Irene wasn't great about learning people's names Irene in Speculation know Station. Names. <laughs> She's, She's just the finisher. It's the one thing that helped her that, that held her back. <laughs> Otherwise, she was so good at her job, and everyone so was like, God, Irene was so bad with names. <laughs> I love this story we're building for them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know. Oh, I love it. Little rom com. And. Yeah, their relationship spanned 17 years, but Polly actually destroyed many of their letters between each other. And she doesn't say much about Irene in her memoir other than to call her my closest friend. So even Polly was kind of like, we were roommates, you know, (laughs) like like, even she was kind of a little bit cagey about this romance. Yeah. And as the New Yorker article, which is called The Many Lives of Polly Murray, points out, quote, By leaving her gender identity and romantic history out of her autobiography, Murray necessarily leaves out something else as well, the lifetime of emotional distress they caused. From the time she was 19, Murray suffered breakdowns almost annually, some of them culminating in hospitalizations, all of them triggered either by feeling as if she were a man or by having feelings for a woman. She wrote once to her Aunt Pauline, quote, This conflict rises up to knock me down at every apex I reach in my career. And she reached a lot of apexes. Yeah, yeah. You can see that that would be a very constant thing. And to her doctor, she wrote, quote, Anything you can do to help me will be gratefully appreciated because my life is somewhat unbearable in its present phase. Uh, It's like we talked about in the last episode, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of complicated swirling issues around... Uh, uh, gender and identity and conversations, yeah. especially for someone like Polly, who's living through this with with no no guidance, basically no precedent, yeah. um, you know, and really kind of trying to understand herself. And I, I hope that people can hear stories like that and understand that this is not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. This is not something that's made up, uh, you know, by Gen Z for 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 whatever purposes people think that <laughs> Some gender identity is made up for. Right. This is Agenda. something that people genuinely earnestly really suffer with yeah. dysphoria mm-hmm. and their their own personal identity versus what you know society wants to project on them mm-hmm. uh it's a really challenging issue that we're still working on we're still having conversations about uh and uh, again I, like i said before i don't know why you wouldn't be totally content to just kind of sit back and listen um, why anybody's got to stick their nose in it is beyond me. It's true. It's really, well, we did that. <laughs> because because it's very clear when you see someone like Polly or, you know, if, if you know anyone out there today, talk to them. This is a really difficult situation for them to be in. And it mm-hmm. can cause intense mental and even physical illness. Like anguish. Yeah. Yeah, like you can't comprehend Mm -hmm. what that means for someone to go through. You honestly cannot. I cannot. None Mm -hmm. of us can Mm -hmm. without going through it. So it it, just accept it. Just accept and and offer what you can and just let people (laughs) be them damn selves, really. Well, and uh, like to go through all that and then on throw on top of them an additional layer of intolerance. Right. Potential violence and crazy restrictions on your life is... Like, it's already hard enough all by itself. Yeah. It, it doesn't need any help from you to be difficult. And no one is doing it to have a good time. Absolutely, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's not, and that was something that really was driven home to me by Lily Elb when she was really describing in her diaries what it was like to go through those changes. Yeah. I was really, like, she was made herself sick yeah. all the time. 
And no one would choose that. Do you know what I'm saying? It was happening whether she wanted it or not. Because the sickness comes from the intolerance. Right. Right. The sickness comes from the stress of saying, well, I feel like this, that I this is who I am and this is what I need myself to be. And yet I can't be that because some people are going to give me more than a hard time about it, but actually put my life in danger potentially because of it. And that that's what makes it such a dangerous and damaging issue. Mm -hmm. People should be allowed to be themselves freely and openly and then it wouldn't be psychologically damaging it wouldn't be putting people in the damn hospital if they didn't have to worry about how how twisted the world is gonna make them out to be Mm -hmm. and feel and imagine all the help that polly could have gotten from the magnus hirschfeld institute if it had not been raided by nazis absolutely back in the lily elb episode if if you haven't heard that you should, but if you haven't, there was a whole hospital in Germany dedicated to studying LGBT issues in a very open and accepting way that was like unheard of at the time. I didn't even know there was anything like this at the time. Because mm-hmm, they destroyed all Guess what? All the Nazis shit. came in and burned that place to the ground and destroyed all their records and killed the doctor in charge. We should probably do an episode just about the Magnus yeah. Field uh, Hospital, honestly. Yeah. So in 1960... Polly left the U.S. for the first time when she accepted a job at the newly opened Ghana School of Law. But she only stayed there for a year before returning in 1961 when she was appointed to President Kennedy's Presidential Commission on the Status of Women. Status. It's bad. (laughs) (laughs) She came in like, I got I got I got the memo for you. I know the status. Uh. It's fucked up out there in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) So she wrote a memo arguing that the 14th Amendment forbade sex discrimination as much as racial discrimination. Mm. And she didn't let civil rights leaders off the hook for sex discrimination either. In 1963, she criticized the March on Washington because not a single woman was included in either the major keynote speaking lineup or in the delegation sent to speak with the White House. Mm. She wrote, quote, I have been increasingly perturbed over the blatant disparity between the major role which black women have played and are playing in the crucial grassroots level of our struggle and the minor role of leadership they have been assigned in the national policymaking decisions. It is indefensible to call a national march on Washington and send out a call which contains the name of not a single woman leader. Amen. For real. What in the world? Right. So true. Right. And certainly not for me to criticize the March on Washington, <laughs> but we can definitely yeah. look at that and say, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it, y'all forget somebody? Well, again, Polly is intersectional as fuck. Yeah. She's like, you should not be leaving out Rosa Parks and Fannie Lou Hamer. Right. And me, <laughs> I mean, ne- she never said herself, but she would have been a great speaker too. Absolutely. What are y'all doing? You had some wonderful speakers at your fingertips. Yeah. So I, I totally get that. In 1963, Congress was debating the Civil Rights Act, which prohibited employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. Mm -hmm. And some civil rights leaders wanted to take out the word sex because, according to Forbes, they thought the inclusion would shift focus away from black people to white women Mm. or sink the bill entirely. Okay. uh, Which is very interesting uh, and often true, I guess. I've heard that about affirmative action as well, that if you look at the numbers, it's benefited white women the most of any group. Um, I would have to double check that. So I will put myself in corrections corner later if Uh I have to. But I have heard that. But Polly decimated that argument. She wrote a memo saying that if they took out the word sex, only half the black population would be protected. Right. Since black women, millions of whom worked and supported families already, could still be fired due to their gender. Right. She wrote, quote, It is exceedingly difficult for a black woman to determine whether or not she is being discriminated against because of race or sex. These two types of discrimination are so closely intertwined and so similar that black women are uniquely qualified to affirm their interrelatedness. Wow. She also wrote an article in 1965 titled Jane Crow and the Law, Sex Discrimination and Title VII explaining how certain legal statutes meant to protect civil rights still limited the scope of liberties afforded to women. By the way, 
She's been enrolled at Yale for a couple of years at this point. Oh. And became the first black woman to earn a Doctor of Juridical Science degree there in 1965. Wow. So she's doing all this. Meanwhile. While she's also (laughs) in in Yale. Incredible. (laughs) And hopefully having some lovely dinners at home with Irene. I hope so. I mean, again, I, I think I said this in the last episode, too, but I am so fascinated with her just way with words. I mean, the way she puts things yeah. makes things makes these issues make so much sense. Mm-hmm. And again, you could be like, yeah, sure. If you say intersectional, then I'm all about it. That sounds like a great idea. And then she puts it in such a way mm-hmm. where you're like, holy shit. That is super important. Right. Uh, I'm, I've gone from being just a, a, a supporter on the sidelines to like actively, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. How can you not be supporting feminism while you're supporting racial equality? Because then you've still got half the Whole people. Bunch of people. <laughs> so many people. Not dealing with it. Or you can't support feminism without also supporting trans women because mm-hmm. then you've got a whole bunch of women who still aren't getting their shit. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, it has to come from all sides at once. It yeah. really does. It really does. And you you've can't got leave any of it out. Right. And be like, we'll do this first. Right. <laughs> what do you mean first? Right. Yeah. So it's the Jane Crow article that in 1971 helped Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who worked with Polly also at the ACLU, mm-hmm. successfully argue the landmark Supreme Court case Reed versus Reed, which established equal protections for women. Boom. Ginsburg knew that she was so indebted to Polly's work on this subject that she even just named her a co-author of the legal brief, even though Polly didn't directly work on the case. No. She was like, I know you didn't work on it, but you did. You worked on it. <laughs> Ginsburg later said, quote, Murray was the one who sparked the idea that the 14th Amendment should protect the right of men and women to follow their talent as far as it could take them. We were not inventing something new. We were saying the same things Polly had said years earlier at a time when society was not prepared to listen. Uh, Yeah. Hello. Believe it or not, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said it all. (laughs) (laughs) She she made her point. Wow. I get it. And then just like Thurgood and Spotswood, Ginsburg won her case that she based on Polly's argument. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And look Polly's, at all these seeds she had to plant, like, that's, so exactly. long ago, before they bore any fruit. Polly's out here just throwing foundations down left and right. It's like, here, you build something on that. Here, uh-huh. you build something on that. Go build something Fix on that. Fix this shit. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> but back in 1965, Polly was frustrated with the lack of progress for women. Mm. So one day she said women should organize a march on Washington, like a similar civil rights yeah. one, but for women's rights. For women, gotcha. And as usual, you know, people around here were like, what in the world is Polly talking about? Oh, She's okay. so crazy. She said something crazy again. But then she got a phone call from, at the time, the most famous feminist in America, Betty Friedan. Oh. And she was like, what's this now you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> and they did organize a conference for women in Washington, D.C. And at that conference, Polly told Betty she thought it was past time that there was an NAACP for women. So... You know, a group that could take on cases mm-hmm. of segregation, but specifically based on sex yeah. and like tackle that shit head on. And together with Shirley Chisholm and others, they started the National Organization for Women or now in 1966. Nice. Now that's what I call organizing. Now that's what I call a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also that same year, she successfully argued that women should be allowed on juries alongside her ACLU colleague, Dorothy Kenyon, who also inspired RBG and was also named a co-author on that 1971 legislation because they both were so amazing back in the day. Awesome. Ruth had to give them props. Well, uh, Ruth had to give them props and we have to give you some commercials. So we will be right back right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome back to the Polly Murray story, everybody. So by 1967, Polly was criticizing now for sidelining minority and poor and working class women in their efforts for equality. Uh, tale as old as feminism, uh-huh. uh, working betrayal. hard, but then, uh, you, hey, uh, hey, feminism, you forgot somebody. <laughs> A lot of somebody. Yeah, it tends to happen. So she wrote, quote, since as a human being, I cannot allow myself to be fragmented into black at one time, woman at another, or worker at another, I must find a unifying principle in all these movements to which I can adhere. This, it seems to me, is not only good politics, but also maybe the price of survival. Mm. Again with the words. Don't you just get it when she speaks? Don't you just fully understand what she's talking about? I do. And she's absolutely right. Like, how could you separate those identities and have an organization be like, well, we're just going to deal with one at a time. Like, right. well, which one? Yeah, because I'm all of them. I'm all of them. Which one takes a backseat? Right. I can't I can't only be a woman today. Yeah. I am also black still, she uh-huh. says. And, uh, and working class. And a worker. Yeah, it's amazing. It wouldn't be until 1989 that legal scholar Professor Kimberly Crenshaw would coin the term intersectionality as a way of describing how systems of oppression overlap to create these distinct experiences for people with multiple identity categories. Mm-hmm. Pauli wrote in 1945, quote, When my brothers try to draw a circle to exclude me, I shall draw a larger circle to include them. Where they speak out for the privileges of a puny group, I shall shout for the rights of all mankind. With humility, but with pride, I shall offer one small life, whether in foxhole or in wheat field, 
for whatever it is worth, to fulfill the prophecy that all men are created equal. Polly! Stirring shit! I didn't even feel qualified to read that quote. <laughs> it was so good. Oh, man. She's amazing. I mean, for real. This person is incredible. And I love that, too, her attitude of like, I'm trying to encompass more. Why are you guys trying to leave people out? You're yeah. trying so hard to leave people out. And I I want everyone in here. Yeah. Why can't we all have what cis straight white men have? Right. Why, why can't we have that? Yeah. It says right here in the Constitution <laughs> that, that we're supposed to have, have that. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm not asking for nothing I wasn't promised. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of her way with words, in 1970, Polly published her only volume of poems. Oh, unfair that she also gets to be a poet. <laughs> She's, I mean, she can do anything. Yep. Uh, it's, it's called Dark Testament. Ooh. And many were written back in her Harlem days. Cool. So they kind of span her life. Um, Remember, she was hanging out with Langston Hughes okay. and W.E.B. Dubois. James Baldwin, also a friend. Awesome. So, yeah, she, she was hanging out with some literary cats and did some poems of her own. And they are all worth reading. But we wanted to highlight two of them. So let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear... From Dr. Polly Murray, her 1939 poem, To the Oppressors. Now you are strong, and we are but grapes aching with ripeness. Crush us, squeeze from us all the brave life contained in these full skins. But ours is a subtle strength, potent with centuries of yearning, of being kegged and shut away in dark forgotten places. We shall endure to steal your senses in that lonely twilight of your winter's grief. Snap, snap, snap. And here's another poem from Dr. Murray in 1970 called simply, Words. We are spendthrifts with words. We squander them, toss them like pennies in the air. Arrogant words, angry words, cruel words, comradely words. Shy words tiptoeing from mouth to ear. But the slowly wrought words of love and the thunderous words of heartbreak, those we hoard. Mm. I like that too because what about, you know, if you think about everything going on with Irene? Yeah. And the kind of the background of her life is this sort of secret, not so secret, open secret romance. Oh, yeah, sure. And I wonder if she's like, I, I don't get to say with my whole chest how I oh, feel. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to hoard those. I'll and... throw, I'm throwing words at you all day long. Mm-hmm. It seems like I'm just giving you all my words, but I've yeah. got some that I got to keep to myself. Right. Ooh. And I mean, yeah. I think it's a pretty universal thing. Sure. We all, I think we all hoard words of love and yeah. words of heartbreak. Nobody wants to say, be the first to say, and nobody wants to be the first to say. Right. Um, but I, but that's what I was reading it, and I was just like, oh, I wonder if she's kind of thinking about some yearning of her own to be yeah. like, I want to be just hanging out with my wife. Totally. Just like everybody else. Oh, that's awesome. So by the time that this volume was published, Polly had accepted a teaching pr- position at Brandeis University. And she not only taught law there, but she basically created the American Studies program. She was fighting all the time to include courses on African-American and women's studies, which were both firsts for the school. Polly wrote that her time there was, quote, the most exciting, tormenting, satisfying, embattled, frustrated, and at times triumphant period of my secular career. Wow. So I think that's great. I mean, that sounds like her life. Right, <laughs> right. And all those words, you know what yep. I mean? Um, so she's crushing it. Brandy's, she received full tenure there in 1971, securing the most financially stable and respectable job of her life. So she seemed to be like set. Wow. She's going to be hanging out at Brandy's and doing her thing. And this is 1971. Uh-huh. And she was born in 1910. So she's 60 at this point. Like right? what? What? Yeah. what's left? Well, it came as a real surprise to everyone when in 1973, she quit Brandy's to become an Episcopalian priest. Huh? Yep. So let's find out more about that right after this. Yeah. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everybody. All right. So Irene Barlow, Polly's, uh, you know, alleged love of her life, was actually dying. Um, she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor, and she made Polly her executor. Not long after Irene passed away in 1973, Polly resigned from Brandy's and entered New York's General Theological Seminary to become an Episcopal priest. She and Irene had been active at this church, and she had many friendships with women there. So this might have been something that she thought about doing for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she even once said that when she taught her students, she asked them, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And got conversations going with them. And later realizing that she was acting more like an ecclesiastical counselor than she was a lawyer in class, you know? Mm, Yeah, yeah. It wasn't about like, let me make a case for this for this case. (laughs) But let me uh, let's have a conversation about it. Right. And she wanted to, like, explore people's ideas, what they thought and why they thought what they thought. You know, so she was like, I just felt more like we were talking about bigger things than just the letter of the law, the spirit of the law. Right. 
So that might have been what led her to take this position, or it might have been inspired by the deaths of both her life partner and her aunts, who were the most important people in her life, mm -hmm. who died around the same time, that might have caused her to make this kind of big, drastic professional change so late in her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she said when she's going through some of Irene's papers, because she was her executor, uh -huh. she went through some of her stuff and she's like, I, I thought I knew her pretty well, but I didn't realize all these small, lovely, kind things that she had been doing. Oh, wow. Which is just a, a, a little clue about Irene's character, I yeah. guess. It's a very little clue, unfortunately. We don't have more, but I guess Irene was always out there being sweet as hell, helping people yeah. out and doing cool things. Yeah. And she just sounds like a wholesome, pretty lady that Polly got to spend a lot of time with. So that makes me happy. It's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, maybe she was also like, I want to do good. I want to do good in small ways every day like Irene did. Maybe there was some inspiration in yeah. that or yeah. something. Although it could partly have been also the fact that the Episcopal Church did not ordain women at the time. Oh, <laughs> so she was just like, oh, so you don't, like, do you? Oh, for real? <laughs> well. <laughs> Allow me to just change another system real quick. <laughs> I'd like to kick in one last door. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think she may, you know, some people think that she maybe saw an opportunity to put pressure on another system that was segregating. Yeah. And so she was like, well, let me get up in there and start making making some good trouble. But this time in her life, her timing was perfect. Ooh. The church's general convention voted to change that policy effective January 1st, 1977, only three weeks after she would complete her divinity training. Oh. So I, if I can pull into speculation station real quick. Of course. Do you think that she enrolled and they were like, oh, shit, Polly Murray's up in here? <laughs> Well, you know she's going to make us do it anyway, guys. Let's just go ahead and get Change the wheels the turning. We got about three years while she goes through the divinity training <laughs> to make this happen. Someone call up the Pope or whoever. Let's just quit. get the paperwork done before she comes in and starts yelling at us because I don't want to get yelled at by Polly Murray. I'm not interested in another <laughs> stirring quote. I see what she's done. She's, she's going to make us look like idiots. <laughs> Or or was it more like, oh, shit, Polly Murray wants to be a priest? Oh, this is about to be real oh, good. Right? We need to get Polly Murray. Somebody get the paperwork. I want to sign it right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine the people? She'll be out there saying amazing stuff. The sermons. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, my God. Her sermons I mean, her must sermons. have been incredible. Oh, so I can't decide which yes. one. <laughs> How the church reacted to Polly Murray's name in the list. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> However, they decided to do it. They did decide to do it. They decided that women could be ordained. So on January 8th at the National Cathedral, Polly became the first black American woman to be vested as an Episcopal priest. New Yorker notes that, quote, a month later, she administered her first Eucharist at the Chapel of the Cross the little church in North Carolina where, more than a century earlier, a priest had baptized her grandmother Cornelia, then still a baby and still a slave. Oh, crazy. <sighs> that shit never fails to touch me like and move yeah. me when somebody is like, oh my God, a hundred years ago, we this were dealing with the thing. most iniquitous shit in history. Right. And now I am the boss bitch <laughs> doing uh, yeah. everything. I mean, that really is amazing. It's incredible because it's so it's so it's such a warm and powerful thing for them. And it's also just a such a big fuck you to the past. <laughs> That's true. You know? Yeah. 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 You tried mm -hmm. to pull some shit. But look where we are now. Yeah. It didn't work. Made it. Never works. Everybody stop oppressing people because it never works. I Eventually. Know. Can we just skip to the part? Where you lose. I know. But the problem is it works for people for so long. I know. They're like, really my does. lifetime went by and it worked great. And yeah. I died and I had everything I oh, wanted. Don't tell them that. I know, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to convince them that they suck. They don't they, listen to this they, show. They lose. No, they, I, they've certainly I turned it. it off by now. They turned it off by now. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the last of Polly's firsts. She never got a permanent preaching position, so she took a few part-time jobs and did sermons at 25 bucks per appearance. I would have booked her for my birthday. Hell yes. <laughs> I would have been like, come give a sermon. <laughs> I would have booked her all the time. I would have booked you. her for my bedtime stories <laughs> every night. Just come by thoughts. and please just tell me something brilliant. But yeah, she was close to retirement age anyway. Right. So this is why I think she never ended up with a full-time position yeah. or anything like that. But on July 1st of 1985, she died at 76 years old of pancreatic cancer, and she was laid to rest in a Brooklyn cemetery 
next to her two aunts and under the same headstone as the love of her life, Irene Barlow. I mean, is that not a clue that maybe they had a deeper relationship? We were were such good friends. (laughs) We wanted to be buried together together under the same headstone. Look, she made me her executor. We had dogs together. Somebody, somebody early in the show messaged us and said, "Will you guys please do stories about women who were friends? (laughs) Oh yeah, people who were good, people who were roommates. This is definitely." I think got to be one of those stories. Mm -hmm. Polly's memoir, Song in a Weary Throat, was published posthumously in 1987. And though she didn't include much about, again, Irene or her sexuality or anything like that or her gender struggles, but she did choose to include all those musings in the files and her personal papers, which she donated to Harvard's Schlesinger Library. The 140 boxes of papers include letters between Irene and Polly that, according to the Smithsonian, Quote, showcase the couple's affection and playful sign-offs, such as 007 or Charlie Brown. Cute. Love that she was like, I wish I could read some of these letters. I know. You have to actually go to Harvard, and we did not. Oh, to physically go to Harvard? Yeah, I tried to look. You can look them up, and they'll tell admitted? you, like, which box it's in, but you can, they weren't, like, digitized online to read. Gotcha. So you have to actually, I guess, go check them oh, out. Oh, my goodness. Or, like, go ask, you know, to read them at the library. All right. So, unfortunately, I can't read them any of them to you. Well, if any of our friends in Boston have access and want to <laughs> read know, us right? one of the we letters, please. Hey, go to the Schlesinger. Reach out, right? I also um, I love that they signed off cute names like that, like yours truly, 007. Because <laughs> what weren't they probably sneaking around with this relationship? Like they probably felt like spies sometimes. Maybe so. Uh, they yeah. might be having fun with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you may as like, well if you have to do it. This letter was self destruct, double O. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Oh, I love it. Um, I'm glad she didn't destroy all their letters. Right. Because right. it's always sad when you feel like the need to do something like that. Yeah. So I've really, it must just be a, a wrench. I know yeah. how I would feel to like destroy something my grandmother wrote on or something. Oh, yeah. I would hate to do that right now. The letters I have in a box somewhere, probably. I mean, <laughs> I doubt they tell an interesting story, but I <laughs> haven't destroyed them. But probably I will should not have. burn them. <laughs> right. Polly wrote that she, quote, lived to see my lost causes found. But she also felt that she didn't accomplish as much as she could have in a more egalitarian society. Mm. And that's Polly for you right there. She's like, I'm going to get as far as I can, but I will always remind you, I could have gotten farther if it weren't for you, specifically (laughs) being an obstacle in my way. Yeah. In 1970, she wrote, quote, If anyone should ask a black woman in America what has been her greatest achievement, her honest answer would be, I survived. Wow. But Polly, even in death, wasn't done changing the world. First of all, her home in North Carolina was designated a National Historic Site in 2016. You're damn right it is. Okay, I would like to visit it also. Yeah, let's. Um, She was also sainted by the Episcopalian Church. Oh, awesome. Obviously, makes sense. (laughs) They were like, shit, this, this. This one here. Yeah. <laughs> Another fast track for Polly, please. Everybody pay attention to this one. <laughs> Yale University has a college named for her. Awesome. But as usual, it's her words that are still resonating even decades after her death. That's right. Because in 2020, three employees were fired for being gay or transgender. And their lawsuit against their employers was argued in front of the Supreme Court. As Forbes writes, quote, on June 15th, Six justices, including Chief Justice John Roberts, ruled in favor of the employees, effectively banning workplace discrimination due to sexual orientation or gender identity. The opinion, delivered by Neil Gorsuch, hinged on the word sex in the 1964 Civil Rights Act that Pauli Murray had fought so hard to include. So even in death, she's protecting people from segregation and discrimination. It's incredible. I mean, does that not send shivers up your spine that if she had given up that that argument in 1964, it would have completely been totally different, especially for uh, women. But then again, resonating so far into the future that that one single word protects so many people. I mean, that's insane. It's wild. Throughout her life, she was not just at the forefront of history. She was quite literally making it all the time. She's legit like, give me a little flower, give me a little 
<laughs> baking soda because I'm about to make history. <laughs> Historian Susan Ware once said, quote, it may be that when historians look back on 20th century America, all roads will lead to Polly Murray. Ain't that the truth? All roads lead to Polly Murray. I, we're going to have to, every episode we do from now on, we're going to be like, well, how would it be if Polly Murray hadn't been around? If Polly had not said, sex is important. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> what an incredible person mm. and a remarkable story. And I, I hope, um, uh, I hope y'all appreciate that uh, while this story wasn't about as much their specific romance and how it played out, it's uh, uh, an episode that is f- foundational in the story of romance in general, mm-hmm. right? Uh, of of love stories, anything post certainly 1970, yeah, uh, is definitely has something to do with this. And yeah. I, I think this is such a fascinating story of a person's. You know, we don't know much about her actual love story but her entire story is around sex and gender and love Mm -hmm. and all these things that are that are so important in this category i think yeah she was just such a i don't just a fire starter just people there's some people in this world that just burn you know what i mean yeah and she was like just one of those lights to me i think she was like i'm gonna burn this motherfucker down For real. I mean, with her fire, then she did. I mean, I just admire her so much. Right. And like you said, it's really too bad that we can't tell you more about Irene because what an interesting person she must have been too to to be. I mean, again, they weren't like living together, but it was it was pretty well known that Polly was a lesbian. Right. uh, Or though she preferred she didn't really prefer that word herself. Right. That's certainly how people categorized her later on in her life and everything. So it wasn't a secret, but it just took a lot of bravery, I think, to live like that. Yeah. And so we get a lot of Polly's bravery and deservedly so we don't get any of Irene's, which is just too bad. Right. Um, and Peg too. Peg also got kicked out of that camp, and she was doing. She yeah, was, she was. She was living life on the edge when it yep. was very, very tough. So, props to both those ladies, whatever they were like. Otherwise, I- I'm so glad it's gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. I- I'm pretty sure for people in, uh, for 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 people who are LGBT anywhere on that category are a lot more free to be public with their relationships but i know a lot of people still aren't too Mm -hmm. especially in their home communities you know it's a lot different than be like you know you can go on tv and 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 it doesn't matter you can be out on tv and it's not like it was even 10 years ago but i mean i i still know people today who are in same-sex relationships Mm -hmm. or who are trans who even if they're out with their families and it's all okay, they might still have a grandparent or even a, a, a relative, even who's a peer, mm-hmm. uh, who refuses to acknowledge it either violently or passively, which is still violently. Right. Um, and that's that's stop stop it. That's so yeah. insane. Or the rest of the world, whatever right. state right. you live in or community, yeah, you live in, absolutely. It might be very close-minded and still yeah. hard to get jobs and things like that. It's right. for as far as we've come, there's still a long way to go. Definitely. Um, but uh, but hopefully there's more Polly's out there working on it, <laughs> and we can all take a little piece of Polly with us and try and be a right. better person. And and on a positive note for resonance, uh-huh. I mean, speaking of resonance, this is like a story of somebody who straight up was hitting walls all day long. Yeah, and instead of quitting. Was like, I'm going to keep working and I'll just write this down real quick (laughs) (laughs) and leave it and someone else will do something with it. And it ended up like everything, as she said, her lost causes were found. She 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 wanted to overturn Plessy Ferguson and it happened. She wanted equal protections for women and it happened even after her death. Protections for people with gender identity struggles like she had are even benefiting from her work. So. Like these little seeds that she planted ended up growing more slowly than maybe she wanted. Yeah. But they still grew. And I just think that's a really valuable lesson. Because yeah. I am very much a person who wants things to happen just as soon as possible. I right. like things to pay off very quickly. And they should. And they can't. Yeah. They, often they, they won't, if, especially if there's something good and lasting. They right. will take some time. Right. But once they've rooted, it's like inevitable. Yeah. 
Yep. So I'm going to try to remember that energy. I'm Polly Murray energy. Yes. <laughs> Plant some seeds. Yes. Do some work, even if you're not seeing the immediate results. Yeah. Plant the tree that will shade someone else. There you go. Right? Yeah. That's what I always love about landscape architecture. Right. Is like, I think I've talked, I'm sure I've talked about this before. It's one of your favorite like, things, but it's. Somebody building a park has to straight up think about what it'll look like 50, 200 years from now. Yeah. And when it's actually the vision they have. Right. And they may never see that themselves, but right. it's not about that. Yeah. And I just think that's amazing. What a long con. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah. And plant these saplings all around this right. lake. And I know that long after I'm gone, it'll look it'll incredible. Oh, just like this. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Mm. Thank you for doing that because now we have beautiful parks that you never got to enjoy, right. but we enjoy every day. So who we're really coming out swinging for in this episode is landscape architects. <laughs> uh, just We all need to treat them a little better. Give them the Holly respect Murray they deserve. Holly Murray was the landscape architect <laughs> of legislation, okay? Yes. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Of, she was thinking about the future. Social issues, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really was. Well, that's awesome. Love Polly. I hope y'all love Polly too. Yeah. Um, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Of course, Always. as all well, usually we don't mean it, but this time <laughs> we really want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> usually we're just bullshit. Yeah, you know, we just say whatever to just get those <laughs> notifications. That's all we really want. I'm just thirsty for attention. I don't pay attention to what that attention is. Sweet, sweet serotonin. Yes. Give me another hit. No, no, no. We love hearing from you, um, and we would love to hear from you on this one. So please, shoot us an email. It's romance at iheartmedia.com. Right. Or we're on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at dynamiteboom. And I'm at, oh, great, it's Eli. Ugh. (laughs) And we're both at Redick Romance. That's right. Um, So follow along. Shoot us some words. Yeah. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Break into Harvard and find those letters and read them for us. Please. Um, we're not Put them condoning on a crime. the internet for all to read. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, we will catch you at the next episode. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. 
Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.